to gratification, but sometimes we just need to wait for the salvation of God. We need to wait upon Him. We need to say, God, I want it to be harvest time, but right now, Lord, it's just planting time. And if you're in one of those situations where you're waiting to see the salvation of the Lord, I want to encourage you, that salvation will come. Patience is one of the hardest things to learn because you have to go through things you can't fix to learn to see them through to the end. In Jacob's life, God had made promises to him. Some of the fulfillment of those promises wouldn't come to pass until many years after Jacob's death. Nevertheless, as Pastor Daniel will share today, Jacob understood that delay, and as a result, will give thanks to God. This is a good lesson for us all. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Genesis chapter 49 as he continues his message, Jacob's Prophecy. A man named Cornelius Plantiga, who was a theologian and a seminary professor, defined the word shalom as the way things ought to be. In God's perfect act of flourishing, that is shalom. The reality of this is that the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet from Judah, until the one who brings peace comes. And what's so fascinating, what's so fascinating historically about this is that when the Romans took away the power from the tribe of Judah in the early decades of what we now call the A.D. time, we know that Jesus was, we say he was born around 0 A.D., we don't really know, and he died around 33 A.D. But when the Romans removed the right to make laws from the tribe of Judah, people wept in the street saying, the prophecy in Genesis 49 was unfulfilled. But what they didn't realize was that there was a baby who was already born in a manger in Bethlehem. So although they lost the power to make and administer laws and to be kings, they didn't realize that the king of kings and the Lord of lords had already been born. Wow. I mean, listen, you can line this up with Roman history. Read the writings of Josephus, who was a Jewish man who wrote the history of the Jewish people for the Romans. I'm not making this stuff up. This all lines up. It lines up. That even when the Romans removed the right of the kings who came from the tribe of Judah to rule in the way they had historically, the Messiah was already born. Until Shiloh comes. And notice, and to him shall be the obedience of the people binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's coat to the choice vine. He washed his garments with wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Now, think about this. We have donkeys, wines, and blood-washed garments. You might say to yourself, what? Now, first, you have to think of the picture. Would you ever tie a donkey to your choicest vegetation? No, right? Because what would the donkey do? He'd eat it. Just the same way, like you wouldn't let me guard over your favorite cannolis. 
because I will guard them by digesting them. Right? So you don't tie your donkey to the choice vine, but you would tie your donkey to the choice vine if it was a time of total abundance, wouldn't you? And that's why, I mean, listen, if you're worried about currency wars and stuff and you're liquidating your fiat currencies and buying gold, in heaven it says that the streets are paved with it. That speaks about the abundance of heaven, the abundance of the presence of God, what we clamor for. That's just asphalt in heaven. It speaks about abundance, the abundance. But don't miss the reality. Of course, you think about a donkey, and it makes you think of the triumphal entry where Jesus, instead of getting on a white stallion, gets on a little donkey and rides on in. Notice this. It's amazing. Look what it says. He washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. What a strange thing to say in the book of Genesis, the blood of grapes. What did Jesus use to symbolize his blood? Wine, right? We use grape juice. So we're a little more spiritual than Jesus. Think about this. This is in the book of Genesis. Thousands of years before Jesus walked on the earth, they're talking about the blood of grapes. Because all of this is pointing to the finished work. Now, think about this also. The idea of blood-washed garments. Listen to Isaiah chapter 63, verses 1 to 4. Who is this who comes from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? This one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red? And your garments like one who treads in the winepress. I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the people, no one was with me, for I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments, and I have stained all my robes, for the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed has come. And what's interesting is in Revelation chapter 19, when Jesus returns to judge the living and the dead in Revelation 19, 13, it says, he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. In Revelation 19, 15, now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. In the book of Revelation, By the Spirit, the Apostle John aptly puts together Jesus, the Lamb of God, and Jesus, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And that is Jesus in both of his advents. In his first advent, he came to die as a sacrificial atonement for the sins of the world. When Jesus comes again, he comes to judge the world as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And brothers and sisters, listen, if you are in here today and you have never trusted in Jesus, the Lamb of God... You need to, because when he returns, and trust me, he will return, he is going to come, and at that point, a no decision is a no decision. That's the gospel. Jesus is going to return. And I'm not trying to scare you into heaven, but you know what? I am trying to scare you out of hell. I am. Because you should be scared of that. The idea of spending eternity separated from God should terrify us. Even the worst life on this side of earth is still existing with common grace. But the afterlife separated from the grace and love and kindness of God is too terrifying. You should be scared of it. 
Just the way you're scared of seeing a cop in the rear of your mirror, if you're speeding down the highway, you should be infinitely more afraid to fall into a lost eternity and be judged when Jesus treads on the wine press of the fierceness of the wrath of God. And God's wrath, that judgment is just. It's just. It's part of God's perfection is to justly judge sin as such. So, brothers and sisters, listen. When Jesus returns, he's coming to judge. And we want to be found in him when he comes. And if you are, you will be forgiven. And then finally, this last phrase here in verse 12, his eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. And I'll be honest with you, I don't have a clue what this really means. I tried and tried and tried. I've studied, I've taught this text before. And what you have, wine and milk were two of the most valuable products in Jacob's land. I mean, for us, wine and milk is everywhere, right? You go into Fred Meyer or Safeway, and there's a whole section of wine and of milk. In Jacob's culture, they weren't very common. We have it in superabundance. They don't have it very much. And it's interesting that Jesus here has seen his eyes are darker than wine. Speaks of his preciousness, his teeth whiter than milk. And they didn't even have, you know, kind of whitening strips in those days. But I, I'll be honest with you, I don't really know what that verse, I don't really know what the symbolism is. And I, I spent a lot of time with it, just like, Lord, what does it mean? And so I'm still learning. So if you have any good ideas, you can send those in too. I'm all game. If you got a good idea, I'm good with it. Let's keep moving. Verse 13. Wait, before we go to verse 13, isn't that prophecy awesome? I mean, like, think about this. Thousands of years before Jesus was even born, this stuff was already laid out. That's amazing. That should blow our minds. Like, wow, God knew exactly what he was doing long before Jesus even came. Okay, I said enough. Verse 13. Zebulun shall dwell by the haven of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and his border shall adjoin Sidon. Now, Now we get Zebulun. Now it's interesting that the whole thing about Zebulun is where he's going to dwell. He's going to dwell by the sea. He's going to be a haven for ships and his border shall adjoin Sidon. And if you read Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 to 17, this happens absolutely as it says. Now when Jesus heard that John was put in prison, he departed to Galilee and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali. Notice that, by the sea. So it's interesting, they haven't even gone into the promised land yet, and Jacob is already telling Zebulun that he's going to dwell by the sea and that his border is going to be with Sidon. And that is exactly what happens in the future. Verse 14, Issachar is a strong donkey. Now, just so you know, I wouldn't recommend that as a compliment, but it is a cool kind of thing that he said. Issachar is a strong donkey lying between two burdens. He saw that rest was good and that the land was pleasant. He bowed his shoulder to bear a burden and became a band of slaves. So it's interesting that Issachar is talked about as being strong, lying between two burdens. And if you think about how a donkey is a beast of burden, and so having two burdens, notice it says, although he was strong, 
and he was lying between two burdens, he saw that rest was good and that the land was pleasant, and he bowed his shoulder to bear a burden and became a band of slaves. Think about that. Although strong, he got lazy. He slacked, and he became a slave. So if you think about it, we have to always be careful not to get lazy when God has gifted us. And I would go so far to say this. If you are here today and you are in Christ, then you are strong. And God has not made you strong to be lazy. God has made you strong that he may use you to do mighty things in his name. So can I encourage you? Can I exhort you? Can I challenge you to take steps of faith? Let him show himself strong on your behalf. And let him use you in ways that we can never even fathom. I always tell people, God wants to use us despite us. And if you don't believe that that's true, just look at me. Because I have no business doing what I get to do. But I'm just naive enough to say, okay, Lord, if you're going to use somebody, you can use me. And I took every opportunity I could. And I don't say to pat myself on the back because God did that despite me as well. But take a step of faith. Let God show himself strong on your behalf. Let God show himself strong on your behalf. And if you look at the history of Issachar, this is exactly what happens. Issachar is almost always the first to go into bondage when the children of Israel go. Almost always. So if God has made you strong, do not shrink back. Now, verse 16 Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent by the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that its rider shall fall backward. I have waited for your salvation, O Lord. Now, the word Dan literally means judge. So when he says Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel, it's a play on words, just the same thing like we had with Judah. So Dan means judge that as one of the tribes of Israel, he will judge. And it's interesting that Dan is seen as a serpent by the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that the rider shall fall backward. Now, it's interesting that when you think about a viper or a serpent, biblically, you often think of something negative, but in the context, it's actually positive because a horse or a rider will fall backwards. Now, so in one sense, Dan will provide justice as a judge, but in another sense, a snake by a roadside, although that can be a strength, is also a problem. And if you look at Dan's history, you'll find that Jeroboam, when the tribes split after Solomon, 10 northern and two southern, that Jeroboam set up two golden calves. And one of them was in the tribe of what? Of Dan. And they worshipped this golden calf in opposition to God's heart. So it's interesting that Dan was also something that caused people to fall backwards. But in the middle of this, all of a sudden you get, I have waited for your salvation, O Lord. It's like in the midst of this, Jacob just erupts in praise. And you know what? As I read this today, I thought to myself, you know, sometimes we have to wait to see God's deliverance. And I know that waiting is hard, isn't it? 
Especially when we're blessed. We live in such a blessed society. And we have things so immediate, don't we? We have immediate gratification. It's like, if you can't watch your favorite TV program, you can just DVR it and watch it whenever you want. And you don't even have to see the commercials anymore. You can just fast forward right through those things. We have immediate access to gratification, but sometimes we just need to wait for the salvation of God. We need to wait upon him. We need to say, God, I want it to be harvest time, but right now, Lord, it's just planting time. And if you're in one of those situations where you're waiting to see the salvation of the Lord, I want to encourage you, that salvation will come. Just wait patiently with perseverance. I quoted that right out of the book of Romans, that Abraham waited patiently for it with perseverance. We need to wait patiently for the Lord. Now, verse 19, Gad, a troop, shall tramp upon him, and he shall triumph at last. Now, again, the name Gad means troop, and so you have Gad, a troop, shall tramp upon him. So obviously he's being poetical in this. And it says, although a troop will come upon him, he shall triumph at last. Now, Gad settled on the east side of the Jordan. And it's interesting that although they were on the east side of the Jordan, Gad still assembled a troop of citizens to fight for their brothers as they went into the promised land. And what's interesting is this is probably a reference to Jephthah, who fought with the Amorites in Judges chapter 11. So he was from Gilead, which was also in the tribe of Gad. So it's interesting that Jephthah fought and defeated the Amorites, and he was of the tribe of Gad, and that's where you have this idea, but he shall triumph at last. Now, verse 20. Bread from Asher shall be rich, and he shall yield royal dainties. Now, I like this, because I love food. And so if I was reading this prophecy, I'd want to live where Asher is because he's got good bread and he's got royal dainties. <laughs> I mean, listen, if, imagine if you were looking for a place to live. This place has got good bread and royal dainties. You're thinking, I'm going to live there. But the reality is, is that Asher would be a very fertile and productive region providing rich food And the tribe settled along the rich northern coast of Canaan. So the idea with Asher is that Asher was going to be a place that blessings abound. And it's interesting in Luke chapter 2 that Anna the prophetess was of the tribe of Asher. Verse 21, Naphtali is a deer let loose. He uses beautiful words. So the idea of Naphtali is that Naphtali is a deer that's prancing around. And it's interesting, he uses beautiful words. So if you're a lyricist or a poet, you like the arts, you'd want to settle in Naphtali. Now, it's interesting because the idea of a deer let loose, Barak, in Judges chapters 4 and 5, was he faced Sisera with 900 chariots of iron, And he was from this tribe as well. And the idea that he uses beautiful words. Now, I want to read you something. Again, Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 to 17. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee 
And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might fulfill that which is spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Listen, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. Upon those who sat in the region of the shadow of death, light has dawned. From this time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Talk about beautiful words in Naphtali. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven as at hand. Now, I want to leave you with that last idea, that beautiful words. Jesus spoke in that land, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, I realize that in most cultures, and especially in this culture, the word repent is kind of left for some crazy guy on a soapbox shouting that it's the end of the world. But the idea of repentance is a beautiful word because what it says is that we can turn around and God will still accept us. So repentance is not some nasty word. It's actually saying, listen, if you were to turn from your ways, your father in heaven is waiting for you. And what I love about that is that no matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, no matter what's happened in our lives, if we will turn from our own way and turn to the Lord, he is waiting for us. It's not a U-turn that's busted. It's a U-turn that will lead you right into the arms of your Savior. And that's why repentance is a beautiful word. Because repentance reminds us that no matter where we've been, God's love still abounds. That no matter what has gone on in our life, no matter how atrocious our life has been, God is still waiting to embrace us if we would turn to him. And I know no more beautiful word than the word forgiveness. And forgiveness costs Jesus everything. But it says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and despised the shame and is seated down at the right hand of the Father. It cost Jesus everything, but he did it with joy because he knew it would mean bringing you and I and all who would believe back into the embrace of his Father. So brother and sister, listen, if you're in here and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, you've never turned from your own way and turned to his way, I want to encourage you to do that. It's a beautiful thing to know that God wants you at his table. He wants you to be his own. And he did everything necessary other than make you a robot to ensure that if you turn, he is there for you. So make that step. Amen. Jesus is real. Finally, Pastor Daniel got to another son besides Joseph, who didn't make a mess of his life. Judah seems to have been an honorable man, and that was reflected in the prophecy that Jacob spoke over him. It's pretty cool, too, that there was a messianic prophecy entwined in Jacob's proclamation about the future of Judah's children was another reminder that actions in life, whether good or bad, can have effects beyond our own life. Hey everyone, there's a lot happening in the world and it can keep you pretty busy, but I want to encourage you to take some time and devote it to your spiritual growth. 
I know God wants to do something in your life, and I'm excited for you to discover exactly what that is. Come join me for a worship service at Crossroads Community Church Online so I can share the Bible with you. Join me online at crossroadschurch.net or find me on Facebook Live. We're so glad we can be a part of your life through the ministry of Jesus is Real Radio. Would you like to be a part of what we're doing? We would like to ask that you prayerfully consider becoming a financial partner of this program. Your contribution, no matter the size, will be used to reach people with the gospel message. Find out more at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for partnering with us. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will begin his teaching, Setting the Stage. Jacob will begin his prophecy over the oldest son of his favorite wife, Rachel. As Jacob prophesies concerning Joseph's life, you'll get an idea of how God has continually watched over Joseph. Pastor Daniel will remind you that the reason Joseph received the blessings from God is because Joseph stayed close to God no matter what happened to him. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called Brothers. Please glance at the clock right now. Make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.